0: Hey, Podcast Universe, I'm Jonathan. And I'm Jeremy. And we are the Evangelicals.
1: And hey, we just want to get started on a couple personal notes from my friend Jonathan here. Um, First off, congratulations on your new little one. And uh, how are things going so far?
0: Yeah, it's awesome, man. Little Joel was born to our family. And I mean, as a man, it's... Um, it's difficult sometimes for me to take credit, you know, for <laughs> for being a new parent simply because my wife is really the one who deserves all of the credit for you know delivery and um for all of the work that she's doing. and I I guess I just want to say this is our this is our third child and and raising children, if you're going to do it well and intentionally, it takes a lot of time, and it is a lot of hard work. And our society right now, we live in a, we live in a world that is not kid friendly. I mean, it is it is so lame to have a kid. It is so lame. I mean, you you have a you can't go to any movies cuz you have like a screamy kid. You can't go out to a restaurant. I mean, it is when you if you're going to have a child and parent well, you remove yourself from cool society <laughs> completely. And anybody who's out there who's had a child can just say amen to that. Sure. You know, and it's it's tough but um, but it's rewarding, and it's I'm, it. it is worth it, and it's beautiful. So yeah, this these nights are not full of as much sleep as either my wife or I would like. But yeah, these are good days, and they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be gone soon.
1: Sure, sure. And one more thing, uh, I just recently found out that uh, four years ago, Jonathan recorded a CD, and I just wanted to give it a plug because it is. Just beautiful lyrically, and it tells a story. If you, you're if you, being very generous. No, story. I am being very serious right now. And uh, if you were to purchase it, I'm going to let Jonathan talk about it for just a little bit. You have to have at least one time where you sit down for 45 minutes and listen from beginning to end because there is a flow and a story. And I think it really gets at what we're trying to be about here on the Evangelicals Podcast. And so, what's the name? And well, uh, thanks, where can they, where can That's they a find it? Very that? generous <laughs> plug. It's so true. Yeah, no, it's, it's so a, true.
0: It's one of the uh forgotten rock albums of the last decade, <laughs> one of the most forgotten, <laughs> least listened to. But uh the put together a collective called The Prelude. You can look us up on uh iTunes or on Spotify. Go check out the album. It's the band is The Prelude, and the album is called Parables and Promises. Yeah. It's an album really that was birthed out of a lot of um interaction with the Bible and thought different thoughts when I was in seminary and I happened to be surrounded by some really great musicians. And we all, we, we committed to every Monday night that year for a semester, we got together and we're writing and working on these songs. And then we just in two days, we recorded the whole thing. I mean, it was crazy. And my one friend, Ben who's an arranger. He's in LA now. He's going to be big time. He arranged stuff for our local uh, college to, um, to have some string players come and play on it. And uh, had some other guys, Isaac, who's just a brilliant musician on bass, Joel, who's just an awesome drummer. He's now living in L.A. and working as a youth pastor, I think. And uh, then Enos is now working at Gateway Church in Texas. He's one of the best electric guitar players, in my opinion, in America right now. I mean, the kid is really, he's unbelievable, just has a great music mind. So, yeah, we got together and... We don't live close to each other anymore. We're probably, you know, we hardly ever get together, you know. So it's uh, just one of those things. But
1: yeah, thanks for the plug, man. You got to check it out. It is lyr- lyrically, theologically, it's just beautiful. The beautiful. prelude. The Parables prelude. and promises. Oh, got to check it out. What are we talking about today, Jonathan? So
0: we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about standing up for a cause. We're going to talk about handling protest. And we're going to talk about public discourse. And the reason that we're going to talk about these things today is, is because a lot of the arguments that are happening in the public square as it pertains to evangelical Christians in America and just America in general sort of circle around these these things, the, the things that people are talking about in the news. We recently came up on a year anniversary of the Charlottesville incident as football season is starting. Oh, yes. Everybody's still talking about people kneeling for the national anthem. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And as John McCain just died. Yeah. um, We're talking about how to remember him, a guy who you couldn't really pin down. Right. He wasn't really loyal to anyone or to anything except for his own convictions, you know? And so these are these are some of the things that we've been talking about and thinking about that we think merit a conversation today, and we're going to come at them from beginning by talking about the Sermon on the Mount.
1: Yeah, so um, Jesus, and, and it's interesting as we look in the history of our country and the history of the world, anytime people stand up to power, anytime people take a stand, whether it be a social stand or um, even a theological stand, uh, but more social than anything, people tend to revert back to the Sermon on the Mount. and And you think of people like martin luther king jr and gandhi and and all of these people who had to stand up to power for people who were oppressed and people who were on the underside of society they most often go back to the sermon on the mount and and how do we have peaceful nonviolent resistance that proves a point about what's actually happening in society. And so just uh, real briefly, uh, the, the one thing that we really wanted to hit on was Jesus in the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter five, talks about turning the other cheek and going the extra mile and giving not just the first cloak, this, but the second also. Let me, re- let me read that, James. Yeah, so sure. this,
0: is, this is Matthew chapter five, uh, NRSV, starting in verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not, re- do not resist an evildoer. Do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you.
1: Yeah, so I think that a lot of times we read this passage and, Unfortunately, we just kind of write it off and say Jesus was, wasn't was talking about today. But I think what Jesus was actually trying to help us understand is how do we, as followers of him, uh, live in a society, live in a, a a situation that may be not good for us. So the first one, a uh, slapping on the right cheek and turning the left. And I can't demonstrate on on this podcast, but it has this understanding of if I'm going, like I'm looking at Jonathan right now, if I were to hit him on the right cheek I would have to do it with my right hand, with the back of my right hand, which is the way that a master would slap a slave. A master would slap somebody who was beneath him. And so when Jesus says, give them the other cheek as well, well, the way an equals would fight is you would punch, and, uh, and you would go hand to hand that way. And so Jesus was saying, make that person, if they hit you on the right cheek, also turn the other one. And in so doing, you're showing them, that you are their equal. You are you are not somebody who was lesser, but you are their equal. Yeah,
0: I mean it's a really it's a really interesting scenario to think about. So you're you're standing there and you've just received a blow to the face. And Jesus doesn't say retaliate, which I think would be the go-to option for most people. Sure. He also doesn't say get walked on. Right? Which I think is how a lot of people read this sure. scripture, man. Yeah. I think a lot of people read this scripture and what they think Jesus is saying is just let people walk on you. Sure. No,
1: no, no. No, it's it's looking at the person who has just treated you as an s- inferior. Yeah. And looking at them and saying, now you're going to have to hit me, but when you hit me this time, you're going to hit me as an equal. And so it, it Kind of assuming a, assuming one's own dignity and in some way standing up for it. And showing this power for what it really is rather than uh, somebody would look at that and think that is totally acceptable and okay— well, now if you're looking at somebody who's going to hit, and it's literally telling everyone around that we are actually equals, rather than he is higher than me or greater than me. And I think the same goes with the other two as well. Uh, you know, you could take a, a a cloak, a coat. I think was the first. And if you were to give them your coat as well, uh, in essence, in that that day, yeah, take
0: your they, if they take your coat, give them your cloak. Yeah. The so the coat
1: was kind of the outer garment, and the cloak was the inner. And so in essence, giving them the second. You would, you would be rendered without clothes um, yeah. and, and you would be naked. That's a socially awkward situation. Yeah. And so in, the, and, and in that day to view uh, someone without clothes was to bring shame upon yourself, actually, and not just the person who mm, was naked. Yeah. But it also is showing the greed of someone who's not just taking one article of clothing, but you're actually taking both, which in essence makes the powerful... Uh, look less than because it's kind of that Roman's
0: idea of heaping coals on that person's head, really.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, then the last one is going the extra mile. And so a Roman soldier was um, allowed to force a Jew to carry uh, that they could force a Jew to carry their backpack for one mile, but no more. And if uh, the commanding officer found out, then they would then get in trouble. And so Jesus is saying, well, just go the second mile. And in so doing, once again, heaping coals, At that point, who has the power in the situation? Because the Roman officer is going to now be following after you saying, hey, get back here, get back here, and you're going to be running away. Probably a a comical scene, and I'm sure when people heard it, when Jesus said it, it probably brought up an interesting deal that a Roman soldier would be running after uh, a Jewish peasant of some sort. But it shows that now the peasant has the power because the Roman officer could potentially get in trouble for... uh, Breaking the law that the Roman uh, official had given him, and so once again reversing the idea of where power is, showing the, those who are in power that they're not as powerful as they think, and these small things that that aren't uh, as huge of a deal actually um, are allowing the people of God who are on the underpart of society to stand up to power.
0: So let's so let's apply Matthew five to our current day context. We live in a time where racial division is really highlighted in the news and just in public discourse. There's a lot of arguments going on online about lots of different things. The Charlottesville episode last year, the players in the NFL kneeling for the flag, and this happens to be at a season where it was actually 50 years ago this year on April 4th, that Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And at that event, at the event in Memphis that was celebrating, commemorating the 50th anniversary of King's assassination, Russell Moore, a very famous evangelical, delivered a beautiful homily in remembrance of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.
1: Yeah, and and actually challenged the people there, and obviously it's all over the internet and around the world, to... And, and I think what he was trying to get at was it's easy for us to celebrate Martin Luther King Jr., who has been dead for 50 years because of the, the things that he did. But he really tried to make the point the point and the emphasis that if Martin Luther King Jr. was still alive, would we still have the same love for him? Or uh, and, and he referenced when Jesus talks about how you say you wouldn't have killed the prophets, woe to you Pharisees, you say you... You, you decorate the tombs of the prophets yes. and you honor them and you celebrate and them. And whose tomb
0: was decorated in America in Memphis this year? Exactly
1: right. But then Jesus says, however, the reason you celebrate them is because they're no longer around to tell you what you need to do and how you need to change and how God may be upset at you because of the way that you're treating the poor or you're treating those who um, aren't as fortunate as you or you aren't honoring God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so it's, it's easy to celebrate people who aren't telling us how bad we potentially are or challenging us maybe there's a better way to say it to be better and 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 so his sermon in essence was we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. but at the time a lot of white evangelical pastors actually spoke against what Martin Luther King Jr. was trying to do, actually spoke exactly. out against yes. the things that he was talking about and said, you're, you're going too hard on this and you are you need to slow down a little bit and we need to go a little bit slower to get the change that you're looking for, to which he responded from the Birmingham jail. Um, I'm writing this from a jail. How slow is, or, you know, how slow is too, or how fast is too fast? And, and why aren't you helping me and supporting my cause if we are, Following the same Jesus,
0: yeah, and you know people get really nervous in the church when people start talking about issues that have been politicized, like race. And I just want to say about our podcast: if you if you've looked at the artwork on our podcast, you notice three white faces, three power, three powerful white men who have shaped the course of evangelicalism in some part: Martin Luther, George Whitfield, and John Wesley, three people from whom we take theological heritage. And Jeremy and I sit here as two white evangelical pastors. And the reason that we're talking about race today is because we need to. Sure. The fact of the matter is Jeremy and I, we have a certain amount of influence and power because of the leadership roles that we have in our churches. And the fact of the matter is in the past, that power has not been leveraged well for the kingdom of God, at least in the United States of America. And for us, we care a lot about how our children learn to deal with issues socially moving forward as the people of God. And I, I honestly, I listened to Russell Moore speak about the, um, the murder of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And he says, you know, essentially what you just said, The the people then didn't really see him as a prophet. Yeah. We look 50 years now. And we put
1: wreaths at the
0: Lorraine Motel. Was that the name of the motel? Yeah, that's
1: the name where he got shot.
0: He talks about how we put, we put wreaths there. But I think I ask myself the question, who are the prophets today? Who are the voices that most offend me that I wouldn't mind if they were just done away with? I kind of ask myself that question. Sure.
1: And, and I think we run the risk of... Prophets are are not liked throughout history. <laughs> and I know that it becomes this sticky situation sometimes when you're preaching or maybe when you're writing music and you want to, to really go after a topic, you run the risk of saying, well, what if people push against it? You know what What if people uh, look at me and say, "Oh, you're just propagating this ideology that goes against what we're trying to do?" rather than saying well maybe this is what the gospel is actually trying to get us to think about and to live and to to truly understand what it means to be the people of God. And, and 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 so once again yeah you're right. We we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. but at the time the church, especially the white evangelical church, had a big issue with him and they didn't support him. They didn't like what he was saying. They didn't they didn't appreciate all of the things that he was standing for. How fast he was trying to get change, and 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 you're right. Sometimes people say things. I'm like, man, I really didn't want to hear that because that means I either have to change my attitude, I have to change the way I view this situation, and um, it'd have been a lot easier. Sometimes ignorance is bliss, right?
0: And if you listen to our first episode, Jeremy talked about his heritage, and I also talked about mine. Uh, for both for both of us, I guess I won't speak for you, Jeremy, necessarily, but we are, we are people who realize this wasn't just a them thing. It wasn't those evangelicals. We are right those people. We are the descendants of those people. Sure. We are their sons. Sure. And how do we change the world? How do we change this trajectory? How do we help people realize these people who said they were followers of Jesus in this area, they were not following the example of Christ. They were not living as they ought, and it's not our place to apologize for them. It's also not our place to crucify them, but it is our place in our time right now to teach our children how they ought to live above the social standard, sure. which unfortunately is division, right. which, enfor- which unfortunately, unfortunately is left and right, black and white, Yeah, and we've got to find a middle ground.
1: Yeah. I think that um one way that we start to do that, and uh there's a guy named Brian Stevens who Stevenson who um brilliant brilliant lawyer guy wrote a book called Just Mercy and a lawyer down in Atlanta, Georgia, and works some in Alabama, and his whole purpose is to help people who are on death row, who didn't get a fair trial, who didn't get a fair hearing, to to try to have that opportunity. It's amazing. And yeah, it's unbelievable. And he says that his mom used to always tell him he's, he's African-American guy. Uh, his mom used to always tell him, uh, Brian, the only way that you can really understand a situation is you have to view it up close. Can't view it from far away, but you have to get in the middle. You have to, to journey with people who were there and you have to, to truly understand what's going on. I just watched um the movie to kill a mockingbird for some reason. Mm. I had not seen it in my whole life. Mm. And, uh, and uh, the lawyer in that movie is, is talking to his children and saying, sometimes we have to put ourselves in the skin of other people to really understand their perspective. And until we do that, I'm not sure that we are allowed to assume on them or perpetuate on them um, what we think they should be feeling or how we think they should see the situation. But we have to truly understand from their perspective where they may be coming from.
0: So I think that an, an example in our society right now of where, a lot of people are having conversations about an issue, but not getting up close and personal with it is this issue of NFL players kneeling for the
1: national anthem. Yeah. Do we really want to go there?
0: I think I do. I think I do. <laughs> I, think right, I, do. I want to t- I want to talk about it. All right. And and I think that I think that these individuals who are kneeling for the national anthem, I see them, I th- I think that they perceive themselves to be working in concert with kind of as a follow-up to the work of the civil rights movement, because the work of the civil rights movement is not done. And so I, I find these two things to be in conversation with each other, the the civil rights movement of the sixties and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And what's going on with the, the NFL protests. I'm just going to call it a, a protest. And personally, Jeremy, I think it's brilliant. And here's why I think it's brilliant. I, here's why I think these guys are brilliant. They, Tried. They wanted to do something that would get people's attention. And even the president of the United States is talking about these protests. And people are angry and they're furious because these men are simply kneeling
1: at the, at the Star-Spangled Banner in football games. Which they actually talked to somebody in the service and got approved to do it in such a manner because I think originally when it started, they were sitting and they talked to a green Bray or somebody who served in the military. I've I've heard this story and said, Hey, what would, what would you think would be okay? I said, man, if you could just kneel, that, that would go a long way for us. It it, it,
0: uh, it honors, it like honors the flag or end the, the nationalism that they were not wanting to completely disgrace. Sure. Right.
1: Sure. And so, yeah. And so not only are they talking about the act of kneeling, but they are also talking about, on some level, potentially not as much, but why, uh, why they chose to do this. Um, and so, yeah, if, if, whether you agree or disagree, um, I think that the, the mission that they set out for, uh, they accomplished in a, in a huge, huge way. And I'm not even sure that when they first started doing it that this, they realized that it was going to escalate to this level. Maybe they hoped it would, but I'm not sure they really right. thought that it would.
0: So I think the, the original person who was really famous for us a couple years ago now is Colin Kaepernick, who yep. was the quarterback for the 49ers. And he was kneeling to protest the way that minorities were being discriminated against, it seemed like, by law enforcement officers. And so for him, in order to to kind of take a stand, to let his voice be heard in a way that it wasn't traditionally, he decided to kneel for the flag. So they started get, gathering, a garnering a lot of, Um, attention in the media in the press in different social media conversations and there was a you talked about you talked about us uh getting up and close and personal to particular situations one of the most interesting and troubling episodes of the kneeling for the anthem happened for me last year at a colts game where mike pence the vice president was in attendance at the colts game did you hear about this story yeah, I don't know how you
1: couldn't have if you
0: <laughs> yeah, so so <laughs> Mike Pence, in America. So Mike Pence and his wife, they go to the Colts game. Uh, they're from Indiana. He's the gov- he was the governor of Indiana. They go to the Colts game. And at the very beginning, and as far as we know, they planned on attending the game. True. But they didn't even make it into the first quarter because there were players on the field that knelt for the national anthem for the Star-Spangled Banner. And Pence and his wife and his entourage, they left the stadium in protest. Saying, essentially to everyone, we're not going to put up with people disgracing the American flag. Essentially saying, we've got this situation figured out. We know what's going on and we're not supporting it. I was really troubled by Mike Pence's response. Not because... Not, not necessarily because um, I'm upset with his take on the protests. I think he's entitled to his own opinion. But to me, what was troubling was, here's a man who people have stood behind again and and again as being a Christian, godly, ethical leader. He's arguably the second most powerful man in the arguably the most powerful nation in the world. And he just leaves. To me, Christian leadership in some situations looks a lot like confrontation, compassionate confrontation. What would have happened if Mike Pence would have left his balcony seat in his suite And if you would have walked down to the field to have a conversation with those people who were kneeling there, what if, what if you would have waited till after the game and went into the locker room and with the media started asking players questions and having a face-to-face conversation personally, personally, I think that Mike Pence, if he wanted to, could have shut down the protests for good. If he would have leveraged his influence and conversation well in those locker rooms and said, Hey, I don't want to despise you. I don't want to dismiss you. I don't want to assume that I've got this whole situation figured out. I want to solve this problem and I want to bring America together. but no no, no, no no. He chooses to do possibly the worst thing that he could do. He leaves without a con a conversation and he decides to put on social media his opinion of people that he never had a conversation with.
1: yeah, and I think sometimes we it's easy to. To look at him and say, "How dare he?" But once again, if we're really trying to understand what it means to be good news to the world, I think conversation is always better. And I and I think you're right. I think that if he would have walked down and had a conversation, I mean, who knows? Obviously, we're we're playing a lot of what ifs, and we're playing the you know trying to to imagine what would have happened. Sure, that's right. But it would have gone a long way for those people to have that voice and to have that ear and to have uh like you said which is probably the most second powerful person in the world sit down and say tell me about this like what's what's going on how can we work together to be a part of the solution rather than continue to to look at each other from great distances but how can we get into each other uh each other's situation each other's circumstance try to understand a little bit better so that we can to a, a better understanding and maybe try to find a solution, uh, try to find common ground that we can work towards rather than escalate, um, once again, an already divisive situation.
0: And people at home may be wondering to themselves, do these guys realize that two white pastors probably shouldn't be talking about this, that this is a completely completely politically incorrect conversation?
1: And I guess I would just say to all of you out there who are worried about us, yes, we do. <laughs> We do. We We understand we're sitting in a sound studio drinking coffee, (laughs) talking in a church, an evangelical church, talking about things that we probably shouldn't be talking about.
0: But the fact of the matter is I'm not satisfied with how anybody out there is having this conversation right now. Sure. And so we're having the conversation. Of course. Yeah.
1: You know, I want to dig a little deeper into this whole silent protest thing and and even the kneeling thing. And I think that the question we have to ask ourselves to really help us understand, are we mad about the kneeling or are we mad about what they're kneeling about? Oh, that's, and, that's
0: a good question.
1: Yeah. And so I think there's a, a litmus test maybe that we could, as evangelicals, uh, help us really try to think through that on some level. So here's, here's, here's the scenario. Another what if, but, you know, it's kind of fun. We're on the podcast, so what, okay. what does it matter? Here's the scenario. Say there were some Christian football players, okay. evangelical football players. Even, who said, even better. <laughs> who said, you know what? I'm not sure I can support a country who has abortion as a legal way of terminating a pregnancy. Mm. And they said, you know what, what we're going to do as, as my right is I'm going to kneel to show the world. And when they ask me why I'm kneeling, I will get to tell them about my faith. I'll get to tell them about my convictions and say, I'm, I'm kneeling because I'm not sure that God is honored by a country who has abortion as a legal form of practice. And um, would that change the dynamic? Would we still be upset that they were kneeling or would we celebrate them as evangelicals because they're standing up for something that is a deep conviction that we would say is across the board for evangelicals? Oh, man.
0: I got to tell you, that's... Uh,
1: for whatever reason, that's just kind of a
0: troubling and striking thought. I'm sitting with that for a while. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with that. I,
1: I, and maybe there's no answer, but I think it. Well, it just could be helpful. To let me know—is no, it really about the kneeling? Because if they were kneeling for something that me that I as an evangelical were to be like, yes, we need to champion that. Uh, maybe abortion is is a good example. Maybe I mean I'm sure there's a plethora of examples. No, I think you
0: bring up something really a really really good point because we're we are all culturally conditioned. We all hear stories from the vantage point of others. And then we interpret it inside. And I think it would be a good question for people to ask. For people who are really worked up about this NFL players protesting silently the national anthem or the, the flag or however they perceive it. But they're not to,
1: protesting the anthem. They're protesting the treatment. I'm sorry. Thank you. Of minorities. African, of minorities. Black people, and by, and by yes. police officers and incarceration and the whole deal. All of that. All right. You're, no, you're right. Thank you for that clarification.
0: But, but right, I— if all of, if if you're if you're just upset that you feel that the flag is in some way being dishonored, then that's kind of a litmus test for you to realize: Hey, my nationalism is really really important to me. Sure. Okay, sure. Okay, so nationalism is really really important to you. So figure out where where your um, what's your, the line? Yeah, yeah. Figure out how important that is to you in comparison with other things. I would hope, especially in comparison with your faith, just, just, but, but yeah, when you, when you raise the question that you raise, you, you also, you ask the question, or am I more offended at the issue that these people are using the national anthem as a platform? And I don't like, I don't like their platform. So maybe, maybe you're upset, not at, The anti-nationalism, which is what the mainstream mainstream narrative about these people is, is that they are – that they hate America or something like this, that they're anti-America, which I think all of them would disagree with that. But that's how this story is being spun, and it might just be that the people telling the story are really more upset with the platform
1: than anything. Which I think will help us have a better conversation. Mm if we can start with what about this and if the if the issue were different would i still have the same opinion and would i still be upset um or is it is about if it is about the the flag which once again great about the star spangled banner great um and even if it were an issue that i was deeply passionate about i would still have to be upset with them even if they were Doing it to try to support something that I believed was a travesty in our country. I would still have abortion. Would, whatever you want your platform whatever to be. the platform to be. It's, um, religious liberty. Yeah, freedom of speech. Freedom of speech. What if? What if our religious liberty were taken away? And some NFL players said, "We don't believe in that. We don't believe that's what our country is for and what it stands for." And they were going to make a social protest. Would we still be upset? Or would we look at them and say, "That's our people. Mm. They're fighting for our cause. Mm. They are are elevating where what we think and what we value. So therefore, we support them in a big, big, huge way." Tough question, and I'm not sure I know the answer, but I think it just gives us some uh, an idea to really help us understand what we're upset about. Which brings us uh, something else you said we said we're going to discuss, and I think it kind of fits into this this whole understanding of. What do we stand for? What what is the the underlying conviction that that pushes us to stand or to understand um, what we think needs to happen for our country is the passing of, of John McCain and yeah and here's a guy who uh, I was watching a thing on on TV the other day about him or you know there a, a, really a lot of documentaries yeah. coming out a lot of docs a lot of things that, that just speak about his life and it was so intriguing to me how often. He made both sides of the political aisle upset, even his own party, and that he would vote for things because he felt like it was going to push the country further or advance the country to be better, even if a Democrat were supporting it. Um, I I saw one thing where he was talking to former President Bill Clinton about something, and he said, hey, if you do this, I'll support you. I'll I'll be there behind you when you announce that this is what you're going to do. And I think it was in in uh, opening up relations again with Vietnam, where he was a mm. prisoner of war. And, wow. and he wanted that reconciliation. He said, we have to put that behind us as a country. And the only way to do that is to open up the relationship again with Vietnam. And and he himself, who was a prisoner of war, beaten, arms broken yeah. for five years, went to a Democratic president and said, "This is this is what our country needs. And I'll be right behind you if you are to do this.
0: So if we're going to talk about turning the other cheek... And we've also got to talk about just the comments of a year or so ago of the current president against John McCain when he was asked in an interview or he was pressed in an interview. He said, you know, uh, President Trump, you know, you're uh, you're coming at this guy who's a war hero. And Trump says he's not a war hero. He was captured. I don't call people who are captured war heroes. Right. And this is something that I assume would be very hurtful and very offensive to John McCain. Does John McCain lash out? Does John McCain start some platform of retaliation and frustration against President Trump? No, he was asked about it, and he, he's a he's a tough guy. But he, he didn't make that the platform for the end of his life. He just moved on and let those negative comments just carry the weight that they did at that moment. And I think he realized, as everyone else realized, that that kind of speech from, uh, from Donald Trump uh, is, just, is just unacceptable. It's just not helpful. And, and for me, I think that was a great example in recent memory of someone in the public eye who chose not to retaliate when they were torn down publicly. And honestly, Jeremy, there are not a lot of people in the public eye today that have enough personal moral fortitude To not retaliate, to not push back in negative ways, to by virtue of not responding, to stop the hate, to stop the divisiveness. And to me, I don't I don't know everything about John McCain and I don't I don't claim to be a biographer. I just know the things that I have received from the news and media throughout my life. You know, he's run for president a couple of times in our lifetime. And so he's one of the more popular political figures but to me the lack of response to that calling out of him as a war hero is something that I'm just always going to remember
1: yeah and obviously there's probably things and it's interesting some of the facebook posts and such that I've read from from people on both sides of the aisle all go back to I'm not sure I agreed with everything he did and everything he voted for um but I truly respect the man cuz he had convictions and he stood for them and was willing to even go against popular opinion if it meant that was the right thing to do for people and for the country and and so it's 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 just it is it is a sad sad moment i think for for our country and for the senate and but once again a, a good example of of someone who didn't look at the platform that others potentially wanted him to be on, but he really tried to look at the situation and say, "What's going to be the best possible outcome?" And that's what I'm willing to do to make this make our country advance, and move forward, be a part of um, of that solution, rather than always the divisive and the calling out. I think that all the people that we've talked about today,
0: from Martin Luther King Jr. to the people kneeling, you know, the Colin Kaepernick's for the flag even John McCain, I think that we have something to learn from all of them. May I say that? May I say that? You did. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, That that they have something to teach us. And in their own way, they display for us a take on Matthew chapter 5.
1: And I think what's interesting is I'm not sure Jesus was looking at the people saying, all right, for the rest of your life, you need to go the extra mile. And for the rest of your life, you need to take the other cheek. And for the rest of your life, you need to um, give both your coat and your cloak as well. But I think he was trying to help them understand something bigger, that that it wasn't s- about the spef- specificity, and I got that word right out, the spef- specificity of the situation, as much as it was about being the creative people of God in the midst of a culture that looks at where we find ourselves and looks at what's happening around us and and is willing to say, this is who we believe Jesus is calling us to be. And in order for me to call out power, in order for me to be the good news as an evangelical to the world, it's going to look different. Yeah. And so after maybe the second time the, the the Jewish peasant goes an extra mile, the the Roman soldier is going to catch on and he's going to laugh and be like, oh, I, know, I understand what you're doing now. And it's not going to have the same effect as it may have would have the first or the second time. Yeah. And... Um, and who knows, it may be time to, to move on from the kneeling. Maybe this, it, we need something else that's going to stir the imagination of, of people in our country and in our world, and maybe hopefully stir the, the uh, imagination of our hearts as the people of God to say, are we truly viewing people in such a way that views them as, as all as equal, that views them not as, as something other than the God-created image? That each one of them displays, the God-given image that is put in the midst of them simply because they're a human being and simply because we believe, I think, as evangelicals, that that God created all people. And that sounds like good news to me. Sounds like good news to me. And so, how do we how do we understand Jesus' words as not saying do this all the time? But more of a bigger idea that there's a way that we as the people of God can live in a culture and live in an understanding of where we find ourselves and be good news, not just by what we say, but actually by how we live. And the good news isn't just for me. Why evangelical pastor sitting in Lima, Ohio, once again, sipping my coffee, but it's good news for the entire world. And do I just say that or do I live in such a way that calls things out that would come against that? Yeah. And I pray that God gives us the courage to, to turn the other
0: cheek to walk the extra mile. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in
1: Lima, Ohio. It is produced by Isaac Smith.